Jens Bunger joins me on episode 63. Jens is a German chromatic player who started out playing the tremolo before discovering Stevie Wonder. He then found Toots Thielmans and he started teaching himself jazz by ear and joined the local big band. He released his first album in 1991 with members of this band and has since released a number of other albums of mostly original material as well as guesting on albums by other artists. Jens has travelled extensively, particularly in Asia, where he has tapped into the burgeoning chromatic scene there and has been invited to play at numerous concerts and the Asian Harmonica Festivals. Jens is also appearing at the Harmonica UK Chromatic Weekend on June 18th, 19th, 2022. This podcast is sponsored by Zydel Harmonicas. Visit the oldest harmonica factory in the world at www.zydel1847.com or on Facebook or Instagram at Zydel Harmonicas. Hello, Jens Bunger, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Neil. You are a German chromatic player, yeah? Yeah, right. Yeah, chromatic only. But I, I start with the tremolo harmonica. So do you still play the tremolo harmonica? No. Uh, actually, I, I got one uh, as a gift from someone who gave up playing harmonica completely. I, I have it uh, in the box. I I open it, try it a little bit, but you know, I, I don't use it. Mm-hmm. And so, do you play any diatonic harmonica? Uh, no. Actually, uh, since I started playing the chromatic harmonica, I had to play a piece of music with an orchestra. It was uh, street music by William Russell. For that, they asked me to play the diatonic harmonica, but I decided to play it exclusively on the chromatic harmonica. And then, as a gift, they gave me a, a marine band. I tried it, but um, I, I'm not so comfortable with it sound production is quite different so when i blow i hear a lot of side noises and so it's yeah like a completely different uh, world for me yeah it's interesting isn't it you get quite a few people who only play over the chromatic or diatonic and some people who play both but um you know for you though um you know what would you say in um to promote the chromatic harmonica to diatonic players? It's hard to convince the uh, real diatonic harmonica players to switch to the chromatic harmonica. They don't know actually what to do with this button on the side. When I meet Howard Levy, I always tease him and he teases me. He, he asks me, why, why do you play the, harmonica, the chromatic harmonica? And I ask him, why do you play the uh, diatonic harmonica? I often compare the chromatic harmonica to a concert flute and the diatonic harmonica to a pan flute, in which you have to produce the chromatic uh, notes with your technique. But it's not there, it's not inbuilt, like on a chromatic harmonica. And for a diatonic harmonica player, I think it's really a challenge, as it was for me in the beginning, to play the chromatic notes and knowing when to press the slider button and when to release it and also get familiar with the different patterns in every key you have to play in a different pattern exhale inhale use the slider or uh, just don't use it and i think it's really a completely different world yeah sure yeah so you're from i think a place near heidelberg that's right 
Uh, it's uh, southwestern Germany, and it's not so far from the French border. It's about yeah one hour, and I'm in the Alsace region, or to Strasbourg. It's about one hour, 30 minutes. We have a fast train now from Mannheim, which is uh, 15, 20 minutes uh, from my place, uh, to Paris. You are there in less than four hours. Yeah, I'm always very envious of people who live in sort of Central Europe. It's great to get everywhere, isn't it? You can... Right, yeah. What was the uh, harmonica scene like as you were growing up? What, what got you into playing the harmonica? Actually, uh, I, I found an old harmonica, uh, which my father owned, but I, I never heard him play. And uh, it was in the cupboard and I picked it up. I think I was 11 years old or so and tried to play some easy folk music children's songs, then Christmas songs. This was on the tremolo, was it? Yeah, that was the tremolo. Unsere Lieblinge is the name of this uh, yeah, Honer brand. Actually, that's uh, that's that was my first instrument and it was a little bit uh, out of tune, so I guess my father must have played on it. But uh, as I said, I never heard him play. Within a few weeks, I was able to play quite decently on it. And then for Christmas, my parents gave me a new one, which was not so out of tune. Uh, that was the one which has the echo harp. It has a, a key of C on one side. And if you flip it around, it has the key of G. Yeah, I was able to play on this instrument, but I, I did not really have a, like a role model for that. Yeah, my father, actually, he, uh, he comes from Hamburg. So uh, my grandpa was a sailor. I, I know that uh, sailors at that time, probably not today anymore, uh, they used to play the harmonica on sea. So I played some uh, shanties, sailor songs. And then when our school was recruiting people for the school choir, I registered for that because I, I liked singing, but I also brought my harmonica. And then when they were rehearsing one song, I just picked up the harmonica, surprising the teacher and uh, played along with the choir. And from then on, I was hired <laughs> as a harmonica player for the school choir whenever they had a performance. Oh, great. And this is still on the tremolo, yeah? That was on the tremolo, yes. I was able to play uh, also this, uh, yeah, accompanying myself with a, a rhythm uh, by the tongue I demonstrate here. Something like that. I, I played this on the chromatic harmonica now with the octave technique. Okay, and, b and before then, uh, did you play any instruments before then? No, actually, it was uh, also a Horner instrument. Uh, it's, um, it's called clarina. It was a kind of the, which looks like a keyboard. The melodica. Melodica, yeah. And this was a cheaper model, clarina with uh, very colorful keys. This was actually the first instrument I got. And then I got a guitar uh, from my grandpa. A book came with it, so I, I could teach myself to uh, play chords. So I was never able to really play melody lines on, on the guitar. Maybe Stairway to Heaven, of course, this intro. <laughs> but um, I, I was more restricted to uh, playing chords. And this really helped me to get a, f uh, a knowledge and feeling for uh, harmonies, which uh, also enabled me to uh, quickly understand what's going on in jazz music when you improvise. And uh, yeah, after the guitar, the uh, next instrument was the harmonica. It took me until I uh, was 18 years old. Shortly before I graduated, I heard Stevie Wonder on the radio with this song, uh, Isn't She Lovely, with the harmonica solo. <laughs> Thank you. 
And is that what turned you on to the chromatic sound? Right. And I did not know how do you call this instrument, which is able to play the, the uh, chromatic notes, the half notes, as we say in Germany, Halbtöne. And so I went to a music shop and asked them, okay, I, I heard this song, Isn't She Lovely? And I cannot play it on my uh, harmonica, which I have. And then the salesperson told me, oh, you mean a chromatic harmonica. And so I started with a cheap one, a chrometa. Yeah, it took me a couple of uh, weeks to be able to play single note lines and not play uh, two or three notes at the same time. So this was the first challenge. And you were self-taught at this stage, were you? Right, right. I, I'm not sure if, if they really had textbooks how to learn the chromatic harmonica at that time. But something happened a couple of years later when I participated in a, what they called World Harmonica Championships the festival which now is called the World Harmonica Festival. So it was more uh, like a competition, like in a sports event. And I registered for that. They required me to play a, a, a test piece so that yeah, for the preliminary round that I could show that I'm able to play the chromatic harmonica. The test piece had octaves in it. And I did not know how to, how can I play octaves? My mouth is so small. I, I, I cannot open it so much. And I tried to play with two harmonicas at the same time, stacked beneath each other and shifted a little bit so that I, but it did not work. And then I bought a small brochure in a music shop, which was like an introduction into playing the chromatic harmonica. And this was the first time I heard about or read about the difference between Paka style, which I played naturally, and uh, tongue blocking, which enables you to play octaves. Yeah, I think the challenge with the chromatic then, we talked a lot of, a lot of diatonic players on here. You know, there, there was lots of blues records to listen to. There wasn't so much chromatic harmonica, right? And that, like you say, very little material on the, on the how to play the chromatic back then, yeah? Yeah, nowadays I, I think there are uh, yeah more books on the market, so it's maybe easier for some uh, beginners, or they just watch YouTube videos. Nowadays, you you watch the yeah. tutorials on on the, on the internet. You were learning the chromatic by ear at this stage, were you? Uh, right, yeah. I, I bought an uh, album, vinyl, at that time, uh, Stevie Wonder's Greatest Hits, and I tried to uh, just imitate what he played note by note and uh, always restarting the record and scratching it by overusing it and always listening to the same part. Uh, later, I just recorded it with a cassette tape recorder from the albums I bought and then uh, I had more possibilities to uh, replay it without damaging the, the LP. The good old days before computers, eh? Yeah, yeah. And, and there was not really a way to slow down or to adjust it to the pitch because I, I realized my cassette tape players also, they broken after a while. And so I bought a new one and then I suddenly noticed, okay, why, why is this uh, a quarter note deeper, lower in pitch than my harmonica? And so I I bought one with the pitch control by Philips. And with that, I could record from the LP and then pitch down half an octave. So slow it down at the same time. And then re-recorded the slowed down version, another half octave down. And so I could follow what, uh, at that time, I, I listened to Toot Stillmans already, uh, what he was playing in his imp improvisations. But it sounded weird, very low. At least I, I got an idea, okay, what, which notes is he playing in these sometimes really fast improvisations? Mm -hmm. 
And nowadays you you just buy the album or you you stream it and download it, and then you uh, use a software like Transcribe or whatever Audacity, and you can slow it down without changing the pitch, or you can adjust the pitch. Yeah, nowadays it's so easy. So uh, was there any particular Stevie Wonder song that that grabbed you early on? Isn't she lovely, of course, because it's very melodic. But on this uh, Stevie's greatest hits there were recordings from uh, when he was uh, 13 14 years old fingertips Some of it was not very understandable for me at that time and at that time I did not really uh, I was not familiar to the connection between harmonies and the melody instrument, what he is doing, what he was doing rhythmically. He was very prominent, but harmonically, I did not really uh, get the connection, the, the context. So you started getting into jazz. You mentioned you listened to Toots Tillmans, of course. Yes. I think you first heard him, I read, on uh, the Getaway movie soundtrack. Right, yes. So I watched that movie actually in the year when I graduated. So I was uh, 18 and a half years at that time. I already had played uh, Stevie uh, songs or just had tried to approach the chromatic harmonica. I played German pop songs along the radio in all keys, which was good because it was training my ear. It was training my ability to be flexible and using the harmonica like my own voice. I also started to play along with what was just played on the radio and uh, was able to switch keys very quickly. So it trained my ear and it trained my mastering of the different keys on the chromatic harmonica. But then I watched this movie, The Getaway, and I was caught by the harmonica solos. And then in the end, in the credits, actually someone loaded it uh, up to uh, YouTube. So you can see, okay, harmonica solos, guitar and whistling, Toot Stillmans. And a few days later, I went to a record shop and asked uh, the uh, staff about Toot Stillmans. And they didn't know who is this. And then uh, they looked in a catalog. At that time, they didn't have the computer. <laughs> okay, come with me into the jazz department. And so the first Toot Stillmans LP I bought was one of these three uh, live recordings in uh, which he uh, made in Holland. So this was my first exposure to jazz. Any Toots songs off those albums that you remember? Uh, film music like uh, The Summer of 42, The Summer Knows, That Misty Red Beast, uh, which I also have in my uh, repertoire now for uh, Toots Tillman's tribute because uh, this year we celebrate his 100th birthday. Yeah, this was the, let's say, the, the more melodic songs, the film music, where he plays only 
short solo, very easy for me at that time to follow. But then also Curta uh, Metragem, a Brazilian song uh, composed by another harmonica player, Mauricio Einhorn. This one was so fast and I did not really get what's happening there. It took me months to really analyze and understand. Uh, at first, uh, he plays the theme melody and then he starts to play random notes, which somehow are related to the harmonies, which uh, are played by the rhythm section. Yeah, it took me about one or two years until I really understood, okay, there is a form in jazz like AABA or whatever, which repeats over and over again. And the soloist, he is improvising, which means inventing new melodies related to these chord schemes that are underlying the solos. So in order to you know start learning jazz more seriously, you're mainly a jazz chromatic player now, yeah? So did you then start to study music? And you know how did you get your head around playing jazz changes? My guitar playing helped me. Playing along with Jamie Abersold's cassette tapes, later on, yeah, CDs, but I think this was uh, in the 1990s. I, I bought my first CD player in 1991 when I recorded my first CD so that I was able to listen to my own album. Later on, I, I and which I still use, a band in a box play longs but at that time i also just played chords on my guitar so i, I had to use both hands uh, i let the sound ring for a while and quickly picked up my harmonica and just tried out okay which notes sound good with this chord i played another chord okay which notes sound good with that chord and uh, so this was a very slow approach, but uh, it also helped improve my uh, harmonic understanding. And so I didn't really study from uh, theory books. I, I was more a practical uh, man who wanted to be able to listen. And so ear training was always uh, first priority for me and still is even uh, when I teach my workshops. Because I think music is more for the ears than for the eyes. Of course, uh, reading music helps. I started to uh, read music later uh, because uh, if you want to communicate with other musicians, if you uh, want to write your own music, you have to be able to, to write music, to read music. I think I, I can just close my eyes, listen to chords and then i can follow because uh yeah this is what how i started as i said before listening to radio songs whatever style it was and just playing along and trying to contribute uh, with my notes to the uh, overall sound or to the harmony so uh, talking about your then uh, your progression into playing uh, you know with other people you say you, you learned a lot from records and then jamming along with um Abersold backing tracks and all. I think you, yeah. you then started joining what, a big band over there in Germany, did you? Yes, yeah. Uh, this big band was uh, advertising their concert in, in our newspaper and also uh, noted that they are searching for other musicians. And then I said, okay, I, I play the harmonica. Why not attend their concert? And after that, tell them, okay, I play the harmonica. Maybe you need a solo player. And at that time, I already had picked up the trumpet, which was my third or fourth instrument. And this was also a funny story. I bought an album uh, by Quincy Jones because Toot Stillmans was on it, Smackwater Jack, that they play What's Going On.
this song, Freddie Hubbard is playing the trumpet. And this inspired me to pick up the trumpet. And my neighbor on the other side of the street, he was a salesperson in a music shop. And so I got discount for a cheap trumpet or a cornet to be precise. And uh, so I also played the trumpet and I told this band leader of the big band, okay, I, I play harmonica as a soloist, but I can also play trumpet. And he said, oh yeah, we need trumpet players. And so this is how I started playing the trumpet in the second position of this big band of our local music school, played trumpet solos and uh, harmonica solos. So how were you received as a uh, you know as chromatic player in a in a big band with all those um, noisy instruments? <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, the problem is <laughs> you, you say noisy instruments. Yeah, trumpet is noisy too, uh, which is also the reason why I gave up after a couple of years. Because if you practice, everybody in the neighborhood will hear you. So uh, usually when they had concerts, they they had a good PA system. And for the rehearsals, yeah, the big band had to play softly, which is also good training for them. The, the band leader then made, made them uh, clear, okay, you have to play soft when the uh, soloist is not so loud. But I, I think it's a good feeling if you really have a good PA system. I played here in my hometown at a festival, a street festival, roughly two weeks ago. And a professional radio station was doing the PA system. And this was such a great sound behind me, uh, really inspiring if a big band plays behind you. You mentioned already that you released your first album in 1991, which is called Harmonicology. Right. How did you put this together? And then, you know, who did you make that album with? From that big band, one of them was a piano player who studied jazz piano at uh, the Swiss Bern School after. And uh, so he had a small combo, like he on piano, a bass player, a drummer. And then he asked me if I can join. At first, it was more Dixieland and swing. But then when he started studying in Bern, it was yeah, mainstream jazz. So we went to some jam sessions also. And there I met uh, Wolfgang Meyer who was a teacher for jazz music at a conservatory here in Mannheim. We worked together and then the idea came up, okay, I have to somehow document uh, my music uh, also for myself, not necessarily to make money because uh, actually I never made money with uh, releasing albums. Uh, I knew it's like, like a name card to get into uh, the business and uh, this was a very expensive adventure for me. But uh, yeah, he suggested Stefan Schmolk on the bass, Patrick Szymanski, a drummer. This was quite an interesting selection because these musicians were uh, not really mainstream jazz musicians, but more into modern jazz and experimental jazz. And so uh, we did the arrangements together and they uh, really were very creative in a way which I was not uh, used to what someone can do with your songs. And this was quite an interesting experience, and especially for my first album, that it contained some free elements, not, not just mainstream jazz or swing music. Yeah, I noticed on uh, on the song, song for Viola that um, you're attacking the notes quite hard on that one.
Yeah, yeah. At that time, I also it was a learning process to uh, record albums. At that time, I was so naive and inexperienced. Actually, I was the uh, band leader, but uh, I, I was not really in a leading function because I never learned to uh, be a leader in in a band. This was my first experience, and so I, I was quite happy that the band, the musicians in that band themselves, they were able to contribute and bring in their ideas, and I was very easygoing with them and say, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. So I was not very critical, uh, which was good for the music, but I should have been more critical about the technical situation in the studio because at that time I thought okay you go to the studio and the sound engineer he knows what to do of course he knows but uh, they don't have so much experience with harmonica and especially not with chromatic harmonica and so they positioned a uh, condenser microphone in front of me 10 centimeters uh, distance and recorded and i was not happy and i i'm still not happy with the sound on this first of my albums because it's so thin at that time when i played live i already had my sure sm58 microphone in my hand and as i had seen uh how toots did it so i had a really warm sound in my live playing but then in the studio when i listened to the tracks I thought, oh, what, what's going on here? My, my sound is so thin. Ah, yeah, we have a very good microphone. I think it was AKG or Neumann or Bayer or whatever. Very expensive. But it was not really my sound. My sound is warm. And also, there were a lot of side noises on the recordings. Only after a while, I realized why that happened. The condenser mic, as good as it is, it's very sensitive and it picks up all the noises which usually are not uh, recorded when I hold my microphone in my hand. And by holding it, I cup it, I isolate it against all the side noises like the slider clicking, the air streaming out of my nostrils. And all this was on the recording and they tried to uh, remove it as good as it uh, was uh, possible with all technical tricks, but still it was not my sound. So and subsequent albums have you used a handheld microphone? Yes, and uh, nowadays I, I'm more uh, self-confident to tell recording engineers whom I don't know. So sometimes I go to the same studio and they know already, okay, I bring my own microphone. I also have a foam wrapped around the uh, bowl so uh, that it's uh, a little bit softer in the sound. Yeah, they know and they accept it. But in other studios, sometimes they really try to convince me, oh, this is a, a $3,000 microphone and it's so good. It might be good for what they usually record, but it's not good for me. And then in the 90s, you you've, uh, you started doing what you've done lots, which is traveling. And you went across to the USA. You recorded an album over there, yeah? Yeah. Somehow, yeah, one thing leads to another. Actually, I, I won in a lottery. This is the, the, how everything began. I, I won at that time was uh, 5,000 German marks, which is 2,500 euro. I used part of the money to travel to Hong Kong. And I met a harmonica player there, chromatic harmonica player, Dave Packer who uh, was uh, recording jingles for commercials. He played the chromatic harmonica and the piano in a jazz club. He told me, oh, you're, you're here in Asia, you should also go to Singapore. And uh, a year later or so, I went to Singapore on the way to Australia for 
just touristic uh, purpose, there I met some musicians. In a hotel bar, I met this band from Chicago. Judy Roberts on piano and singing, Greg Fishman on the saxophone. A couple of years later, I went to Chicago for the first time in my life and I passed by uh, the Intercontinental Hotel and saw a poster of this same singer and pianist. And in the evening, I went there. So she said, oh, you're here. How come? I said, yeah, just uh, by chance, I, I saw your poster. She said, I, I know someone who is traveling to Germany tomorrow a drummer, Rusty Jones, and he speaks German. I call him uh, on the phone. And then I talked to this uh, Rusty Jones, who was then uh, three weeks later near my hometown playing with a German-American band. He had the idea, oh, yeah, let's play a couple of songs in this concert. And then he said, you must come to Chicago. We, sh we should record an album. Is this uh, the Meet You in Chicago album? Right, Meet You in Chicago. And interestingly, the pianist is a German guy uh, from not too far from Stuttgart, Thomas Gunter, as he calls him now. And he's based in Chicago now for good. So, yeah, together with him, I record this album, Meet You in Chicago. And I had some guests playing on a couple of tunes, two singers, uh, besides Judy Roberts, another singer, Jackie Allen. And so this was an album in which I did not record only original songs, as I did in the albums before, but also some jazz standards. Skylark I don't know if you can find these things But my heart is riding on your wings So yeah, so on some of the earlier albums you did through the 90s and like you say, you did some original tracks. So on It's a Beautiful World in, in 1994. Right. Um, Soup Plus, is that one of yours? Yes, Soup Plus actually is the name of a jazz club which uh, doesn't exist anymore in Sydney. And there I met uh, John Morrison, the brother of uh, James Morrison, this famous trumpet and uh, saxophone player, multi-instrumentalist, and uh, his then wife on the bass. They were hosting a jam session. So I, I got some inspiration for this song, Soup Plus. Also on, on this album are original songs from different countries. Most of my albums were theme albums. So because nowadays, um, yeah, you need some topic. Otherwise, nobody will notice that you released an album. So uh, another one is uh, was made in Shanghai. Yeah, most of my other albums, they contain original songs because of the label managers. They, Of course, they want to earn money through royalties, which they can only do if you play your own songs and not material, which is by other composers. So in 96, you released With All My Heart, and you've got a tango letter on there. It's a, it's a tango a tango tune, yeah. Yeah, also something special about this, because I'm preparing now for my uh, workshops uh, next week at the Chromatic Weekend about effects. 
this is the only song where I use the uh, octave playing because I thought, okay, for the tango, it maybe conveys this feeling of playing a, a bandoneon. But I, I tried to <laughs> play it uh, just uh, one, two hours before when I was uh, writing my concept for, for this uh, workshop. And I thought, no, I, I can't play it anymore because usually I don't play octaves. Probably at that time, I, I practiced <laughs> wildly to be able to play it in the recording. And uh, tango music, is that something you were you know, interested in? Had you, obviously, Joe Powers is probably the most famous person playing. Right. He, he specialized in this uh, niche. I still play this song, Tango Letter. And uh, when I look at my statement, I just got one uh, for my royalties. Uh, <laughs> this tango is the song which brings in the most money which is around, uh, I think it was €2.13 uh, for the last year, because this one is still played on the radio. The label manager at that time, I, I never recorded the same with the same label. I always had to change because the label was uh, closed down or the uh, label manager said, oh, nowadays we, we have a hard time releasing albums uh, with originals. But this one, he wanted me to record an, uh, a tango because at that time there was a tango wave coming from Finland, interestingly, to Europe. He had a good sense for what's uh, being played on the radio. So he knew all the radio stations here in Germany and Austria and Switzerland. And when a new release was on the market, he traveled with his uh, albums from one radio station to the next and he said okay you have a talk show every saturday afternoon this would be an ideal song this tango so he he was making money with royalties because i was the composer and 40 percent go to him 60 percent to me so at that time when when this tango was played more often than nowadays this was really good money coming in but nowadays, most radio stations, they don't play jazz music or this kind of genre anymore. And then uh, you did a, a couple more albums as well. In the, uh, in the Through the 2004, you released a duo album. Uh, is it Paddy Jew? Yeah. So is that just, just you and one other musician? Uh, yeah, I, I did this with my regular guitar player, Uli Wagner. So we uh, we played a couple of weeks ago. Nowadays, uh, yeah, the, the business starts uh, again slowly. And uh, with this duo, I've been playing since 1996. And so we, we also have this tango, tango letter in our repertoire. But because of copyright reasons, because it was under the other label, we could not use it there, but we use it in our live concert. And uh, he's also a great composer, and he uses uh, different tunings on his guitars. Uh, so he has a tenor guitar, he used a eight-string guitar. Yeah, and we, we did two recordings with uh, poetry. One was for a charity association, and uh, another one was uh, for the same label, actually, which is very into this region with uh, local products and so. And uh, we are a wine-grown region. And so the idea came up, combine poetry uh, with the topic of wine. And so we composed music according to the character of wine. Yeah, so we 
did a sampler of the music uh, for the international market because in 2004 I was invited to play in the Hong Kong Asia Pacific Harmonica Festival. Together with my guitar player, we uh, were thinking of bringing some albums and of course they, they would not understand the German poetry. And so the label manager said, okay, let's do a sampler album with just the music, the best music of these two poetry and jazz albums. So, so obviously you mentioned playing in Asia quite a lot and, and you did an album in 2009, which is called Shanghai Blue, which is yeah. recorded with uh, Asian musicians, yeah? Right. So uh, my first trip to uh, Shanghai was in 2004 and I went to a jazz club, a JC club. Suddenly someone behind me said, Hallo Jens Bunge. So he called me by my name and I, I turned around and I saw it was someone who hired me for a concert just a few weeks before in Germany. And he was working for BASF, the big a chemical company which is just 10 kilometers from my place and he was working there for for this company in shanghai yeah and what i experienced there the jazz musicians uh, besides playing jazz standards they also played chinese music in a jazzy style in jazzy arrangements and so the idea came up to do the same, to uh, arrange Chinese songs in a jazzy bossa nova way. At that time, I had just bought a house here, had to do a lot of renovation work. And so for a while, I didn't have the money or, or the time to travel a lot. And so in 2008, I uh, decided to do this recording with uh, Chinese musicians. Uh, only the, the drummer and the, the bass player and the trumpet player Oh, yeah, and the saxophone player who is on uh, one or two songs, uh, they were American musicians, but the rest is a Chinese band, especially the singers. So this was your last album, was it in 2009? Yet You haven't released one since then. That's right. Actually, I'm not sure if I ever uh, will release another album because I think that the time of uh, CDs is over. Not only the young people, also the older people, let's say the targeted jazz audience. Nowadays, they are streaming. If you release something, maybe it's an EP or just a single on Spotify or Amazon yeah. Music or whatever. And I recorded recently four songs, two uh, Brazilian songs, which I composed a couple of years ago. And now a singer, a Brazilian singer, she's based in uh, Germany. She wrote some lyrics and we record these two songs and two other songs, instrumentals. For one of them, uh, Silent Dreams. Actually, it's on YouTube with a slideshow. And uh, I plan to film a video clip. Uh, this will happen in Malaysia in August. 
because I don't have a real budget for this to hire some professional film crews. I bought myself an iPhone 13 Pro and I'm practicing how to film myself with a tripod, with a camera dolly and whatever. And I will pack this in my suitcase, bring to a very nice hotel resort where I played for New Year's Eve three times. So I, I know the location and I already plan yeah, what scenes to shoot. Making a music video. Right, right. And of course, also this one is not really to make money from it. It's uh, just uh, something you... I give as a gift to the world to just make my music popular and myself, promote myself. So you, you travelled a lot in Asia. Obviously, you've been quite involved with the, the harmonica scene over there. So, you know, you, right. went, uh, you went to the, I think you went to the Seoul Harmonica Festival in uh, you know, mm-hmm. in the early 2000s. You've been to various others and you, you got to Asia a lot and play. Yeah, So the, the harmonica, certainly the chromatic harmonica is very popular over there, isn't it? So um, right. what, what's it like over in Asia, the harmonica scene? Yeah, um, my first uh, exposure to the harmonica scene in Asia was actually, yeah, I, I told about uh, meeting Dave Packer, who is a jazz musician who did jingles in Hong Kong. He was not really uh, networking with the uh, harmonica scene there. But in uh, 2000, I planned to go to the harmonica summit in Minneapolis with Hendrik Merkens and other famous harmonica players. But uh, since I'm working as a teacher in Germany, I have lots of holidays, but not necessarily when I need them. And at that time, the festival was just uh, two weeks before my summer holidays started. And oh, yeah, sorry, I can't make it. And I was looking for alternatives. And then I found another festival promoted in Seoul, Korea, the Asia-Pacific Harmonica Festival. And I sent organization an email. And three days later, I got an invitation from them. Of course, they would not pay for my flight, but they would pay for the hotel, ask me to do a workshop and be a judge in the competitions. So I, I traveled there. This was my first meeting with the real harmonica scenes of Korea. At that time, they were not strong in the chromatic harmonica, but Hong Kong and uh, Malaysia and Taiwan. And so some of the uh, Malaysian harmonica players, then they invited me to come to Malaysia. So I thought, yeah, I've never been to Malaysia before. I've been to Singapore, which is not so far from uh, Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur, or Kajang near Kuala Lumpur, where this harmonica scene was located. And so I got to know more and more of these people. And the Hong Kong people, they invited me to take part in the Hong Kong Asia-Pacific Harmonica Festival in 2004. And the Taiwanese people, they invited me to come to the 2006 uh, Asia-Pacific Harmonica Festival in Taipei. And so, yeah, one thing led to another. And yeah, now I, I know about this scene. You've also, as well as your own albums, you, you played with various other people, haven't you? As well, you, you you've done uh, you know guest recordings on on various albums. So with yeah. uh, Andreas Hertel, Andreas Hertel, yeah. So he's a German player, yeah.
Right, he's a, a piano player who is also a great composer. And uh, in the last three, four years, he's done also arranging for different instruments. And he had the idea, some of his uh, older songs, they were still in the drawer. And he thought, okay, I have to release them, but uh, I want to do it in a very special arrangements. And he had the idea to pair me up with a, a trumpet flugelhorn player. I've done this before in my Shanghai Blue album, but um, only with my limited skills of arranging. His arrangements are more uh, worked out, very interesting. During the first lockdowns uh, because of the corona pandemic, uh, I could not travel to Asia in that year. And he said, oh, that's good. <laughs> and now you are here in the summer holidays. I grab you and you record with me. I'm on uh, 10 of 11 of the songs in, in this album. Yeah, great. And, and you recorded some with some, some female singers. So you've also done some film music over there in Germany, yeah? Actually, I, a friend who uh, recorded for a German movie, he uh, needed a harmonica uh, for a blues song. And I played on a chromatic harmonica. And then another musician whom I met in Singapore at first, an Indian guy, he asked me to do some recording from my home. Actually, I, I just have a Tascam interface and I can record directly into my laptop computer and send a, a WAV file all over the world. And I did this for him two or three times uh, one collaboration was with an american singer who was in india for a tour and then he had the idea to record something for a, a bollywood movie yeah this was also a very interesting collaboration uh, he said okay i sent you an mp3 and yeah you just play along record one or two versions, send them to me. But I cannot guarantee that we will use all of your recording. And as you might know, when they are shooting a movie, sometimes they have to change the scene, then I have to change the music. In the end, uh, they only used three of my notes. <laughs> Well, you're well paid for those, yeah. <laughs> he paid me 150 euros, so this is 50 euro per note. You also wrote some articles for the Harmonica Educator, yeah? Yeah, right. Uh, Richard Martin at that time, uh, he uh, reached out for me and asked me if I can uh, take over the jazz column of this uh, Harmonica Educator. And uh, he had uh, Jamie Abersoll doing every second edition. This means two articles per year. Actually, some of the material from uh, this time, I, I found it on one of my old computers and I rescued it. And uh, this is uh, the basis for my workshops uh, next week in the Chromatic Weekend. Yeah, so great. So yes, on June the 18th and 19th in Birmingham in the UK, you're teaching at the at the Harmonica UK Chromatic Weekend. So uh, that's going to be great. I'm going to be there myself. So uh, looking forward to that. So um, yeah, uh, what sort of stuff will you be covering in your workshops? Actually, I, I will do two jazz workshops, one for beginners, which means not the, the hardcore jazz, but also maybe how to interpret uh, songs in a, a jazzy way. Like, let's say, Frank Sinatra, he's not really a jazz singer, as he never really scats. 
But this is uh, what I will cover in this uh, jazz workshop number one. And the second one is for the more advanced players who also want to get more into how to improvise on the basis of chord progressions. Workshop three will be musicality, musical expression. What is it like articulation, how to start a note, how to accentuate notes, how to phrase, how to bring dynamics into the music and not play at the same volume level from the beginning till end. Sunday, I have another two workshops, one about sound quality, how to produce a good sound or your sound. Actually, what is a good sound? Uh, you should be the judge. Okay, what, what is your ideal? How do you want to sound and how do you achieve this goal? How can you play with different tone colors or effects like tremolo or vibrato? The fifth workshop will cover practice strategies. How do you practice in an efficient way that you don't just get worn out and yeah, maybe lose the, the ambition for playing harmonica because your lips are bleeding, which actually happened uh, when I was so crazy to practice Donnelly for hours. And then in the end, I could not play for two days. So how to organize your practice uh, so that you still have fun and make progress and can also monitor your progress. Yeah, great. Yes. So looking forward to that weekend. That, that, that brings me nicely on to a question I ask each time, Jens, which is if you had 10 minutes to practice, what would you spend those 10 minutes doing? So actually, I always say you should practice the songs you want to play, you want to be able to play. Practice slowly and increase the tempo. Increase the tempo day by day or week by week. Use a metronome or playlongs like I use with Band in a Box where you can really monitor your uh, progress. And uh, sometimes I even do two steps forward, one step back. Always uh, consolidate what you already have reached. Sometimes I also say, yeah, 10 minutes spent on the right stuff is better than uh, half an hour. Also, maybe split up 10 minutes into two times five minutes. Don't lose the contact with the harmonica. That's important. And the harmonica is so easy to grab and always have with you so that there should be no excuse to not to practice. You played all around the world. You played concerts all around, lots of festivals. You played in Spa in St. Louis. You also played in Harmonica UK in 2016 with Chris Collis, a pianist, a resident pianist who will be there at the Chromatic Weekend. Yeah, looking forward to that. I know he's looking forward to playing with you. Yeah, so he's great to see you. So we'll get on to talking about gear now. So um, you're a Honer in Dorsey, yeah? You're on their Honer Masters of the Harmonica uh, on their website. I think, uh, is it Super 64 you're one of choice? I started with a Chrometa, as I said before. It was a little bit limited. I, I think it was the Chrometa 14, which has uh, three and a half octaves. But um, yeah, with this plastic mouthpiece and uh, the, the slider was thin and uh, bent very easily. And so then the next instrument was the Super Chromonica, the 270. I had a lot of problems with uh, notes, uh, reads uh, blown out after a while, especially the G in the third channel, because at that time, if you had a broken read, you had to send in the harmonica. Then I realized, I think it was in the 1989 World Harmonica Championships in Trossingen, someone told me, oh no, you can send them into Horner factory, they will repair them. 
And uh, then I switched to the Super 64 because at that time you could buy the, the reed plates. So when a reed was blown out, I just bought a new reed plate, which was also expensive. And then I switched to the CX-12. When this one came out, I thought, oh, wow, nice sound, very easy to bend with. But then I noticed the valves sticking. I wanted to blow a, a soft note and suddenly no sound. And then pfft, this plopping sound and then the note comes out very loud. And also my guitar player, he composed songs where I needed to play in the lower octave. And so I switched back to the Super 64. Recently, I played a, a new Super 64 performance. I, I got it uh, just in time before I went on a tour to Asia. All the musicians, the harmonica players, they wonder, oh, that's, that's a very uh, luxury instrument. Yeah, I, I think it has uh, really advantages over the old instrument as for the reliability, especially what uh, uh, respect to the slider. You like playing the 16 hole, yeah? You, um, yeah. Yeah, you, you're happy to move to that from the 12 hole. Yeah, I, I rarely uh, go below the uh, the low B flat, but um, it's good to have have it. And I, I'm used now. I'm used to the dimensions of the instrument. At first, when I switched from the 14 hole instrument to 12, or then from the 12 hole instrument to the 16, it was a little bit awkward to hold in my hands. But now, now I'm used to it. So uh, obviously you're a, you're a Honer and Dorsey, so you're playing their chromatics. But you know, have you tried some of the other manufacturers recently? Uh, some of the newer ones. I tried the uh, yeah this uh, Renaissance, uh, which was uh, built by uh, Douglas Tate in the 1990s, I think, and then Seidel they uh, revived it around the year 2000, and I tried it, but I was not very happy with it, and it's a 12-hole instrument very heavy yeah. and i i tried uh, the sidle with the with the steel uh, reeds yeah the the response of the reeds was very good very good but uh, the sound was too thin for my taste and so this is the reason why i uh, still stick to honer because of the sound yeah, you like the sound. Yeah, I've got to say, I've got a, uh, a Zydel Symphony, which is a, a chromatic they've released recently, which is, it is really excellent. Yeah, you have to uh, give it a try in, in, uh, in Birmingham. So, yeah, we just talk a little bit about equipment. So, obviously, you, you mentioned when you're, you're recording, you um, you like to use a, a handheld microphone. So, is that, a, right. is that the trusty SM58 you use? Yeah, yeah. I also have this uh, Fireball, this Audix Fireball, but yeah. it was not very convincing when I connected it to my amplifier. The amplifier I use is an Italian model, Mark Bass. So a bass amplifier is that? Yeah, but they had a, a acoustic series, and this is a Mark Acoustic. I had the AER Acoustic Cube 2 before, I think it's good for acoustic guitar, maybe for uh, singers, but I think the emphasis was on the mids and especially the mid highs. And so I was not so convinced by the sound because it was also a little bit too sharp and not, not really so warm and mellow. And then a friend who is a bass player, he uh, also plays guitar sometimes and he uh, connected me with another bass player whom I had met before in a, in a big band. And he was the promoter for Mark Bass here in Germany uh, told me uh, we have a series now for acoustic instruments, Mark Acoustic. This one is just half of the weight. The, this AER weighed like 14 kilograms and this one has uh, 8 
kilograms. And so when I travel, I think it's just easier to carry a lightweight. Uh, so I, I use this one and the sound is a little bit more mellow than on the AER. Yeah, so because it's originally the bass amps, the mic bass, is that, does it emphasize the lower frequencies, do you think, better because of that? Yes, yes. And together with the Shure SM58 and uh, the foam wrapping around the, uh, the microphone ball, Mm. Uh, so I, I really think this goes together quite well. And the SM58, are you using just a standard one, not one of the uh, ones with the volume control? Know, Greg Human. No, the, the blow me away. I'm I'm considering of uh, yeah investing in one. So far, I'm, I'm happy with this uh, regular standard sure, SM58 with a, a switch, so I can switch off when I'm not playing. And um using obviously then you like you say you're taking an amplifier most of the time so you prefer to have your own amp rather than playing through the pa if there is a pa i use the pa but i i make sure i ask the organizers before okay do you have the reverb usually it's no problem i also i bought a reverb uh, device uh, two or three years ago but i never used it but uh, yeah sometimes you go uh, to uh, venue and then they they tell you yeah we have everything and then the sound is uh, not good yeah. so i i always have my microphone with me because i think this is the first uh, thing i can do uh, uh next to myself because i think that the player and the harmonica they produce the sound but then the microphone is the next next means to uh, convey your sound then yeah nothing is in my control after that so if it's a small club and i'm uh, traveling by car i bring my amplifier so i still have a chance to change something if pa is not good yeah no i agree it's always good to have your own equipment isn't it right you know you know if it's failing you can go and get your own equipment can't you so it's particularly the amp and i can always use it as a monitor if they don't have a monitor and the situation is so that you need a monitor to listen to yourself and when with the chromatic you mentioned effects there's reverb so do you use any effects and do you use the reverb or anything else yes i, I use a, a light reverb not not too much depends on this uh, song of course so if i'm doing recording for for other people i just send the raw file uh, with the no equalizing or no effects because those people who produce the uh, music they want to have their sound and that's okay but uh, when i play in a live situation i i try to have a, a decent reverb on my microphone and i always tell them okay please reduce the mid highs and uh, high highs uh, so that the sound is a little bit warm yeah and do you have a reverb pedal no i i don't have one i i think if you use such effects uh, you really have to know what to do and when to do it yeah i mean it's good to have all this gear but it does make things more complicated doesn't it sometimes it's nice just to be simple just turn up your instrument your microphone like you say so yeah so great so final question then just about your future plans obviously you're traveling to the uk next week for the chromatic weekend Any, anything else coming up actually two concerts tribute to toot stillman's uh, on 30th uh, of this month and on 1st of july I think in July, uh, another concert in, in a church uh, with Andreas Hertel in a duo setting. And then the next thing will be this trip to Asia with a couple of concerts. So thanks so much for joining me today, Jens Bunger, and uh, look forward to carrying on this conversation in the Chromatic Weekend, the 18th and 19th of June in, uh, in Birmingham, UK. Yeah. Thanks, Neil, for the interview. Thanks to Zydel for sponsoring the podcast. And be sure to check out their great range of harmonicas and products at www.zidal1847.com 
or on Facebook or Instagram at Zydel Harmonicas. Many thanks to Peter Golding and Robert Sawyer for their donations to the podcast. Remember to please check out the website harmonicahappyhour.com. And finally, it's over to Jens to play us out. Thank you.